Welcome back to Newman on Tap Presents. I am Ron Snyder, your host of a bi-weekly podcast looking at the life and thought of St. John Henry Newman through interviews with a variety of guests, including scholars, religious, and laity drawn to the life and thought of our patron, St. John Henry Newman. My guests react to a pre-assigned sermon of St. John Henry Newman that are posted on my website, newmanontap.com. I encourage our listeners to read these sermons in advance so that they can easily follow along with our discussion. Well, and today we do have a very special guest, Dr. John Crosby from Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Welcome, Dr. Crosby. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. You know, Dr. Crosby received his Ph.D. from the University of Salzburg. He is Professor Emeritus of Philosophy at Franciscan University. And prior to coming to Steubenville in 1990, Dr. Crosby taught at the University of Dallas. Dr. Crosby is known internationally for his work on John Henry Newman, Max Scheller, Carl Wotia, and Dietrich von Hildebrand. He has made significant contributions to the area of philosophical anthropology or the philosophy of the human person. And with his son, John Henry Crosby, Dr. Crosby has founded the Dietrich von Hildebrand Legacy Project. I got to know Dr. Crosby at our Newman Association annual conference where he's been our keynote speaker on two occasions for me, and it's always delightful to hear Dr. Crosby speak with eloquence, humility, and brilliance. It is wonderful to have you, Dr. Crosby. Oh, thank you very much for the invitation, uh, Ron. I'm delighted to, to be with you and to have a chance to share Newman with you. What really was striking was that you asked to uh, look at the sermon today, The Mysteriousness of Our Present Being. And with that being said, Dr. Crosby, let's start with a short prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And this will be posted close to All Saints Day. So the responsorial psalm will be our prayer for All Saints Day. This is from Psalm 21. Lord, this is the people that longs to see your face. St. John Henry Newman, pray for us. Tell us, Dr. Crosby, what drew you to Newman and what draws you to this sermon? I was drawn to Newman back uh, in my teen years. In that, at that time when I was asking the usual ultimate religious questions, I uh, was aware of the great reputation of Cardinal Newman, as he was called back then. And so I began reading in uh, him, and uh, I found that he uh, answered the questions that were troubling me better than anyone else that I read. Uh, and not only that, um, there was this voice of the heart uh, in Newman, and that drew me especially to his work. I, I begin with Newman uh, way back uh, at about age 16. In my early 20s, I reached a point where I was given the grace of uh, really discovering my Catholic faith and owning it like I never had before. 
And the instrument, humanly speaking, of this religious transformation in myself was Newman. And it was especially the sermons of Newman. The sermons have an anointing, a power that was exactly what I needed. They, they became the instrument uh, of my, as it were, second conversion. You know, I was born and raised Catholic, but there is that conversion whereby the cradle Catholic owns his faith. And it was with and through Newman that I underwent that. And so I think of him uh, as my father in faith. And, you know, to this day, I go back again and again, always finding something more, something new uh, in Newman. I have a special bond with him because of the way in which he, as it were, ministered to me at that crucial moment in my home. There's a place where, where Newman says uh, in his uh, Apologia, his autobiography, biography, he, he, he's surveying the great influences in his life. He uh, speaks of a certain Thomas Scott and says, I owe him, humanly speaking, my soul. And I must say, I felt that way about Newman because of the way he, through his sermons, was present to me at a crucial moment in my life. Well, just hearing you speak uh, reminds me of your great work the personalism of St. John Henry Newman. And it seems like your journey is within that text, that you move into your faith through a kind of rationalism into this awe and wonder of the faith, and it rests in the sermons. Those were your guide, which is where I find my own inspiration. Yes, no, that's, uh, uh, it, it's good that you bring up the word rationalism. Uh, uh, if there's one thing Newman is not, it's a rationalist. Uh, he has a great sense of the limits of human reason and uh, the attempt to explain too much with reason that's very foreign uh, uh, to Newman. And, and, I, and that anti-rationalism of Newman's has been very important for me also. Well, let's uh, bring this into our sermon. Tell us why you selected this sermon. Well, um, I've always found the main argument of the sermon to be very illuminating. Uh, So it was preached on Trinity Sunday, and so he's making special reference to the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, And he... uh, it's facing up to the fact that this doctrine of the Trinity uh, has difficulties. There's aspects of it we just can't make sense of. You know, three persons is normally three individual beings for us human beings, but three persons who remain in the unity of one God is incomprehensible for us. So, human uh, faces these difficulties, uh, and he then offers a a really ingenious way of dealing with the difficulties. He says, look, um, this is is mysterious, all right, but there's a great deal about our present being, hence the title of the sermon, The Mysteriousness of Our Present Being. There's a great deal about our present human being, which seems to to be very close at hand and clear and obvious. 
a great deal that in fact is very mysterious also. So he says, let me show you some of the mysteries of our present being and you'll see that uh, it, it's not so strange to find, in fact, it's quite obvious that when we turn from our own being to God, we'll find even greater mysteries. But we're already living with and accepting all kinds of mysteries about our own present being. Well, and he and does end that introduction that you just gave on line 69, that he says that it is certain then that experience outstrips reason in its capacity of knowledge. Why then should reason circumscribe faith when it cannot compass sight? Right. Exactly. And, and, and that he fleshes out with uh, this uh, perfectly chosen example of the union of matter and spirit in the makeup of the human person. Uh, so he, he wants to show how puzzling, how mysterious this union of matter and spirit is. And the argument is, well, if we can live with that puzzlement, uh, uh, we certainly can live with the difficulties that are undeniably there in the doctrine of the Trinity. But the train of thought that Newman offers is this, that uh, the mind, the soul, is something simple. It doesn't have parts. Thing is a thing composed of many parts. Uh, and so when we have that, when we look at that contrast between the simplicity, uh, the freedom from all part in, in the mind, uh, and compare that with the abundance of parts in the body, then we get you know, the question, how can it happen that this thing in us that has no parts can be present in and inform the body, being active and present in all parts of, of the body? Um, a slightly different way of expressing the thought of Newman's is to say it like this. This is not exactly how he says it, but... This is close to it. The mind takes up no space. The body occupies some space. How does it happen that a non-spatially extended mind is present in and informs and acts upon a spatially extended body? It doesn't. Um, it doesn't really make sense. And, and in fact, in one place, if I could just quote a few lines. Um, now I've got my, uh, my book here. It's about two or three pages into the text that you uh, prepared for us. Um, he, he says, what is meant by saying that the soul is in the body any more than saying that a thought or a hope is in a stone or a tree? How is it joined to the body? What keeps it one with the body? What keeps it in the body? What prevents it at any moment from separating from the body? When two things which we see are united, they are united by some connection, which we can understand. A chain or a cable keeps a ship in its place. We lay the foundation of a building in the earth, and the building endures. But what 
is it which unites soul and body? How do they touch? How do they keep together? How is it that we do not wander to the stars or to the depths of the sea or to and fro as chance may carry us while our body remains where it was on earth? And he sums up uh, the argument he wants to make so far from it being wonderful that the body one day dies. How is it that it is made to live and move at all? How is it that it keeps from dying a single hour? Certainly. It is as incomprehensible as anything can be. How soul and body can make up one man. And unless we have the instincts before our eyes, we should steam in saying so to be using words without meaning. So, uh, it's uh, when you come to think about it more closely, incomprehensible that matter and spirit should interpenetrate like they do. Undeniably, they do. It's a matter of experience. Um, so, here we are with our present being, and it's full of mysteries, and we live with that mystery. I can't believe the mysteries of Revelation. I think he would rather say we live with different, you know, he makes that distinction between difficulty and doubt. Yes. 10,000 difficulties don't make one doubt, he famously says. And so difficulties are like um, points of incomprehensibility. It's not absurdity, like real contradictions in reality, but uh, things that are beyond our power of reason to understand. Difficulties abound, uh, uh, whether we're talking about the Trinity or about our own human nature. Well, you know, where's the jumping off point, you know, with these mysteries, Dr. Crosby? There, there's a point of the believer that um, will move towards wonder and awe and move into this beautiful space of mystery and enjoy it versus challenging it. You know, where, where does Newman help us move into that place of wonder and awe? Yeah. Well, yeah, Newman um, thinks that uh, these mysteries are a source of um, religious joy. They, these mysteries that are completely beyond our rational powers to explain, uh, they confront us with the immensity of God, and they fill the believer with a kind of joy uh, in encountering uh, this immensity of God. If everything were completely clear to us, no mysteries, why that sense of the divine immensity would not be there for us. So Newman, uh, at the end of the sermon, thinks makes, makes a great point of the fact that uh, we really grow as believers um, when we face mysteries and exult in the mysteries, not just uh, passively endure them, but somehow exult in them because these mysteries are a kind of messenger to us of the mystery of God himself. And does it require a certain character or temper of mind and a habit yeah. of the individual? He uses those words on line 211. Yes, right, exactly. Let, let's look at those. Uh, 
I can read this, Dr. Crosby. Okay. Um, He says on line 210, there is nothing according as we are given to see and judge of things which will make a greater difference in the temper, character, and habits of an individual than the circumstance of his holding or not holding the gospel to be mysterious. Right, right. Exactly. So you get one kind of religious character if you know how to exult in mystery and not balk at it. You get another kind of character, the rationalistic character, if you demand that everything be crystal clear and that all difficulties be resolved before you believe anything. Which is limiting, correct? I mean, that seems like a narrow life. It is. The rationalism, you know, it it somehow makes uh, the, the very limited human mind the measure. Of, of all things and prevents us from encountering something greater than ourselves. Well, and he says on line 232, and were there no other reason for the revelation right. of them but this gracious one of raising us, refining us, making us yeah. reverent, making us expectant and devout, surely this would be more than a f- sufficient one. Right. Right. Yes, right. And the previous sentence, too, um, it, 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 it is very powerful in expressing this character that's formed by mystery. He says, as great then as is the difference between hanging upon the thought of God and resting in ourselves, lifting up the heart to God and bringing all things in heaven and earth down to ourselves, exalting God and exalting reason, measuring thing by, things by God's power and measuring them by our own entrance, ignorance. So great is the difference between him who believes in the Christian mysteries and him who does not. So that, and, 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 you know, if we look to Newman himself, uh, we clearly see a mind and a heart that took delight in mystery, exalted, that celebrated this mysterious side of uh, revelation. He opens this sermon with the uh, looking at Holy David, he calls him. He says, David glories in what the natural man stumbles at. It awes his heart and imagination to think that God sees him wherever he is, yet without provoking or irritating his reason. He has no proud thoughts rising against what he cannot understand. And later he says he bursts forth in exaltation to think that God is so mysterious. And of course, at the same time, we want to add that Newman wants to understand as far as we humanly can. He wants to understand God and Revelation and even the Trinity. Uh, uh, So it's not as if with this love of mystery, as if he just turns his mind off. He's still seeking, he goes as far as possible in in understanding, but then when he reaches a limit, instead of talking like an angry rationalist, he celebrates this encounter with the greatness of God. Can you answer, Dr. Crosby, my question always is with mystery, is what about reason? Reason has to play somewhat of a role. Absolutely. You know, for instance, the Greek gods, they seem unreasonable. But the, right. but the resurrection of Christ and the whole corpus of Scripture 
that calls for it seems reasonable. Right, exactly. Yeah. No, that's that. Uh, we can't just um, invoke um, uh, mystery, you know, the fact that, well, we don't even understand our own body soul unity. Uh, and, and therefore, anything understandable uh, is, is fit to be believed. No, there are absurd things, there are cultic uh, ideas, there are bizarre and deformed uh, religious conceptions that we ought to reject and not, not uh, you know, embrace on the grounds of being mysterious. Uh, uh, so, uh, so, so, this is approach of Newman's it's not an argument it just stands all by itself uh, this is mysterious therefore it must come from God no that's not uh, the, uh, the, the, the argument at all it, it, it's, it, it's rather um, a kind of supporting argument once we've gone as far as we can and made sense of things but can't explain everything then, then as a kind of support we can say well it's not surprising that we can't explain everything. We're not God, after all. Uh, much remains mysterious to us. To acknowledge our limits and to uh, exult in the, the mystery of God. But if we don't, if, the, if that sense of mystery isn't in tandem with uh, uh, an effort of reason to understand, then we'll talk ourselves into acceptance. Any absurdity that is proposed to us on the grounds that it's mysterious. You know, before we go, Dr. Crosby, I can't help but asking you of where we sit today on the disunity of soul and body. And in yeah. line 45 and 46, Newman's talking about the body, and he said, it is, it is his, it is not he. Yeah. And today we right. just see this kind of disfigurement of the body willingly and free, right. with, with uh, individual freedom right. and the right. separation. Yeah. And so Newman's using an example that we experience is this unity of soul and body. But today we see so much disunity of the two. Can you comment right. on that? This idea that the body is just something that we use like an instrument, that the sort of the view of Plato in the ancient world. Um, that we're really uh, just a spiritual soul and we're uh, yoked to a body for a lifetime and we use it instrumentally, but we slough off the body at death and, and go back to being a pure spirit. So that kind of uh, rupture of the body-soul unity, like you have it in Plato, that is foreign to all Christian thought and it's foreign to Newman. The, the unity of the composite is, is a lived experience that we can't deny and don't want to deny. It's a great, great trouble when we, uh, uh, you know, split up uh, that unity and, and, and somehow just degrade the body to a mere instrument of our activity in the world. So does humanity need Christianity or religion, per yeah. se, to reinforce the notion of the unity of soul and body. You know, well, you know, I think that's a good, very thoughtful question, uh, Ron. And it, we, we have to say that uh, there's no better source for doing full justice to the body-soul unity than Christian revelation, because we have the idea that 
God himself became embodied. What dignity does that impart to the body, the incarnation of God? Further, we have the Christian hope of the resurrection of the body. So it's not just a temporary thing to be embodied. This is our our uh, our mode of life in all eternity to be embodied in, in the resurrection. So you have here uh, in Christianity and and in no other religion like Christianity sense of the dignity of the body and the unity of the body with the with the inner spirit, the destiny of the body to be spiritualized uh, by the inner life of the person. So, uh, yeah, I think Christianity has answers that no other religion has when it comes to the place and dignity of the human body. Thank you very much. That helps clarify so many things for me and my listeners. Uh, your thoughts are so wonderful. Um, this sermon, I'm sure you could give extensive lectures on. It's wonderful that you would spend 25 minutes, a half hour with us taking a look oh, at it. Oh, my. It's a, nothing gives me greater joy than uh, sharing uh, the wisdom of Gilman with uh, well, and I have to give you one more plug. Was your, your text is so accessible, the personalism of John Henry Newman, because it re- reaches into other great personalists in thought, which includes Pope St. John Paul II. Um, That's right. And it really gives right. us access. But what I find so beautiful is that you pulled us through in Newman's sermons. What I particularly love and stress very much in the book on Newman is the place of the heart. Newman is not only a powerful intellect, but a tremendously deep, sensitive human heart. Mm-hmm. And it's those two things together that give the teaching of Newman a very special power. Well, and that's why we still look to him for guidance. And we look to you. Thank you very much for being here. Well, yeah, thank you so much for uh, letting me share with you and, and, and for raising such thoughtful questions also, Rob. Yeah. Thank you very yeah. much for that. Well, thank you, and God bless you. God bless you. Good.